Thanks so much for tuning in to the Four Stories Podcast, where we will talk about the four most important stories of your life, your relationships, and your career. And here's your host, Chris Watson. Super excited to have this powerhouse, amazing uh, man on the show. I've only actually met him once, spoke to him a couple of other times, but truly inspired me in the in the hour that we got together. And so uh, thanks so much, AJ Amix, for being in the house today, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you for having me. I love doing shows like this. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for the invitation. Really appreciate that. Yeah, man. We, you know, we're really looking forward to uh, just having people on, letting them tell their story in the way they want to. You know, the, the show's called Watson Unplugged because it gives me an opportunity to say, let's have an unplugged conversation about stories of people's lives. Uh, you know, what I, what I found is, and, and I know you know this from, from, from what you do now, is that sometimes people hide from their stories and they don't realize that their life story is probably one of the most powerful assets that they actually have. Would you agree? I would totally 100% agree. And I think even beyond that, there's implications that we can find in assessing some of the stories that we tell ourselves because they really ultimately impact the actions and the feelings that we experience on a daily basis. 100% agree. All right, cool. Well, let's kick it off. Um, three specific memories that you have as a kid that have had an influence or an impact on your life story. You know, it's funny. You sent me these questions, and I was, like, figuring out, like, what were these memories? And I don't know what most people say, but mine aren't happy memories. So we'll just kind of go down the list here. So um, one that was – one I remember was uh, – I think I was, like, 10 – I believe 1994. So it was nine actually, because I was listening to Nirvana unplugged and I was obsessed with the Nirvana unplugged album. Like I got it for my birthday in third grade. My dad had bought it for me. And I do, I, to this day, still one of my favorite albums of all time. I love it. And I was singing along outside is at my uncle's house. And he asked me a simple question. He asked me, he's like, Hey Jay, who sings that song? And I was like, uh, Kurt Cobain. He's like, Oh, cool. Well, why don't you let him sing it then? And it was like, at that moment, I can look back when I was like nine years old and he was just joking, just being like an uncle, you know, like doing what uncles do, giving you a hard time. But I made the decision that day that I couldn't sing. Mm. I was like, oh, I guess that means I can't sing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. So I never like, even, even though I was a professional musician, I didn't sing. People were like, you want to sing? Nope. I went to the dentist with my daughter on Monday and uh, they, they used a laser to like cut the skin underneath her tongue and her lip because she had lip tie and tongue tie. And uh, they're like, well, you, we should sing to her while we are doing this. And I'm like, uh, you guys sing to her. Even to this day, like that's wow. something where I'm like, oh, singing. That's a little, we end up, we did end up singing, you know, so it was good, but it still did trigger me. So that was one that definitely had had a, um, an impact. Like I told you, these are a little bit dark stories, but these are the ones that came up. And um, so we're just going to go down them. Story number one. Story number two, I never realized this had an impact on me until, 2015, I was doing an intensive with uh, one of my coaches at the time, Jeremy Eugene Wilson. Love that guy, runs Soldiers, Inc. An amazing human being, changed my life. I have a, love that guy. So we're, we're hiking through Sedona one day, and we're talking about traumatic stuff uh, that happened in childhood. He's asking me, like, hey, you know, what are, like, three things that happened in childhood that were traumatic, you know? And I was really trying to think, and I was like, man, I don't know. I had a, I had a good childhood. I mean, I, I wasn't beaten. I wasn't molested. Like, grew up just normal normal dude like in east texas not that big of a deal and i was like man my dad did this thing when i was a kid like we would be swimming we grew up on cedar creek lake and you'd be swimming and he would grab your leg and like pull you underwater 
and you'd be like kicking and screaming underwater and you'd kick and scream. You think you're going to die. Like when you're like 10, eight, nine years old, 11 years old, however old I was at the time. And finally he like let me up and I gasped for air and then he would pull me back underwater and on and on it would go until I would just like stop. And then he'd, he'd be like, Oh, good job. You, you learn how to not panic. And um, I never thought anything about it. I was just like, oh, it's just dad teaching us how to be tough, teaching us not how to panic. And Jeremy, like, connected a dot for me that I'd never seen. He goes, hmm, interesting. He goes, you realize it's abuse, right? And I'm like, no, he didn't abuse me. He's just being like, you know, whatever. He's like, no, like, that's abuse, bro. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He goes, do you realize your pattern is when things get hard, if you're in conflict with your wife or you're in conflict with a client or you're in conflict with business, What's your go-to? I'm like, I just shut down. He goes, exactly, because when you're 8, 9, 10, 11 year old, you realize in conflict it was safer for you to shut down because if you shut down, it would go away, and then you could get back on track. He goes, how's that pattern playing out in your life right now? And I was like, mother effer. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> the way I talk with clients, the way I talk with my wife. And so it was reclaiming that. And finding the gift in that, that led to liberation, um, that was a big piece of impacting me. And to this day, I still don't think like, because I've done a lot of healing around this, my father wasn't doing it out of an abusive uh, manner, like not even through a perspective of abuse at all. Like he, he legitimately from the bottom of his heart was just like being, having fun, doing, doing his thing, just as my uncle was doing. And as a result, it was an event that I created meaning around that had an impact on my mm-hmm. life. So I got to take responsibility for that. Um, the other piece was, uh, I think it was 2000, uh, 2002, I believe. I went to soccer camp in UCLA. So growing up, I played soccer very competitively. I played club ball. I uh, tried out for a club team that went and played in England when I was like 12. And um, so I, was, I played soccer at a very high level, very competitively. And so I thought I wanted to go to school out in UCLA. I actually submitted my uh, paperwork to go to UCLA, good university out there, but I didn't get it out in time. So it was denied. Made good grades, but um, didn't make the cutoff time. Mm. Anyway, so I went to go out to UCLA for soccer camp. A family had taken me out there. A buddy of mine went with me. And where I grew up, I was one of the best players. Like, hands down, I was one of the best. Sounds arrogant, but it was true. When I got to UCLA, I realized, man, I'm not talented at all. Like, look at this dude. He's, like, juggling nonstop, throws it up, like, with his feet, catches it on, like, the back of his neck, and then rolls down, does push-ups, keeps the ball, like, between his shoulder and his neck, and then stands up with it there and rolls his head forward, and it comes over, and he bounces on his nose like a seal, and then drops it back down to his legs to start juggling the ball again. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And that was like a big wake-up call for me seeing like, man, you're not as good as you think you are. Hmm. Now, what I didn't have was people in my life who would have reminded me of who I really was, Hmm. reminded me and pointed the way of like, hey, this is your gift. This is your talent. And as a result, like in all of these memories, you hopefully can see a through line. It's like doubt, self-doubt, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And these were triggers that I used to, to say, oh, yeah, that little voice that's in the back of your head that says you're not as talented as you think you are. It's right. And then I would choose a different path. So those were three um, influential memories from my childhood that really had um, an impact on who I am. So, and it's it's not every single person that that comes on by any means. But what I what I always find fascinating is 
Well, first of all, doing what you do, you were able to connect the dots. Some people aren't. And, and so I try to like, how do I connect the dots between those two? But I think for you, what's really incredible is that you now knowing that about yourself, now that you've connected the dots, that's something you do for other people, right? You help them on if they're doubting themselves, doubting their abilities. You know, I don't know if you remember, but you and I had a conversation about credibility and I said, uh, yeah, man, I'm doing this and that and this and that and published book and podcasts and this and that. I just really want to grow credibility. And your exact line was, do you remember what you told me? I, I have no idea, dude. Things come out of me in moments that aren't. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You said uh, you are credible at the exact moment that you believe you're credible. Mm. And so I find it interesting that, you know, something that in all three of these events that come back to self-doubt is something that you do with a lot of your clients and the people that you work with of, of helping them identify some of these things and why they may be doubting themselves. So I, I just always find it interesting that, you know, the three memories or the three stories that people come up with. And, and you're a lot like me that maybe the three stories I come up with today might be different than the three stories I come up sure. with in two months. Right. Um, but, but I think that it's very um, apparent that, that these three stories, the way they impacted you, you kind of have, made a mission and correct me if I'm wrong of saying I'm going to help other people that may be dealing with similar situations and maybe doubting themselves to really figure out what their inner, inner power is. Is that right? Absolutely, man. It's absolutely understanding that we are the soul in control of everything that we experience and everything that we have. And in every single moment we have the ability to source unstoppable confidence and certainty. And it's as simple as a choice yet you cannot also negate what you feel at your core and it's about doing the deep work to bring healing to self um, because no matter what somebody says outside of me unless I'm the one who truly believes that nothing changes for me and, and there might be some carry over here on the next question but if you think um, about the first time that you experienced yeah. real success and real failure and what I mean by that is like you know I played soccer as well growing up I played in college um, you and I have some similar stories. I always wanted to go to UCLA, uh, being in a small town. I never went to the camp there or anything of that nature, but I'm not talking about you lost a game or anything like that. I'm talking sure, about sure. something that maybe you helped create or, or, or something that you were really invested in, um, that you had real success, uh, you know, and the moment you had real failure. Uh, I think that it's, it's really important for for the listeners to know. Sure. So what I have here, so think about these questions. And so in college, I think it was in the 2006, I believe, the summer of 2005 or six. I don't remember exactly. I had made a, a decision uh, in May. I was taking a summer class. So school's out. I, I was on a like mission to fulfill school in four years, come hell or high water. It was going to be done in four years. And I got it done in four years. Anyway, um, so I'm sitting there, one, taking a, a summer class, my first summer class, a May, a May term class, just cramming, you know, a whole semester into the month of May. And um, I picked up a, a music business book. And at that time, I, I had been playing music. My roommate, we had, he and I grew up playing soccer together. We went to college together. He's one of my best friends. And we had been writing songs together since high school. And that was the moment where I was like, hey, I'm going to figure out how to make this music thing, like, legit. And we're going we're gonna to make it. And we went on a journey, and in 2008, I think it was in the summer of 2008, we played, um, we went to a record label showcase in Nashville, 
And so we have been playing, you know, since high school, made the decision that, hey, we're going to make this thing. We're going to get paid. and We're going to be like a legitimate professional band in 2005 or six. Here it is, 2008. We had already recorded our first um, EP, had four songs on it. We had sold it. We had been playing shows. But again, in the back of my mind, there's this doubt that's like, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as good as you think you are. You guys aren't going as fast. You're not getting the momentum that you want. And so I, I told the guys, I said, hey, let's go to this, this, uh, this, Thing called band with a mission it's a record label showcase we'll perform and then they will offer us a record deal so this will be the defining moment that if we have what it takes then they'll tell us and we're going to keep going and if they if they don't offer us a deal then then we know we're not as good as we think we are or should be and we'll we'll hang it up and everybody was like yeah let's let's, let's do that so that was on a saturday we uh we left on a friday drove to nashville through the night got there on a saturday showcase came at 10 a.m i think we played at noon and this was the first time that we had all dressed the part because i had met somebody at um, a festival that we had played a summer before called cornerstone festival up in illinois it's a huge christian rock uh festival it's kind of like the I woodstock know it. I know it well. christian rock okay awesome so we played up there and i met this guy that said hey you guys need to have like uniform something that you guys look like a full band together i'm like okay so I went back to Dallas, did that. So now here we are in Nashville. We walk in, all looking awesome, looking like rock stars, feeling like rock stars. We entered the building, and everybody's, like, echoing, like, who are those guys? Like, they look really good. They look like they have their stuff together. And we did. So then we got on stage. We performed our two songs, I think, that we could do, and we crushed. And so we walked to the back, and the guy that was running the thing, he's like, hey, you know, usually we kind of sit down and – um we think about you know who we should give the deal to but you guys you guys are awesome i mean this when you guys get home look for some paperwork we'll send you a contract and then out of us they scored us i think like a 96 out of 100 yeah. um out of all the people so we left and we walked cracker barrel and then people because again we still looked apart we still had that vibe that we're rock star the waitress the hostess everybody wanted our autographs even though they had no clue who we are and that was the moment where i was like we have legitimate real success. We just got offered a record deal. Like all of this work that we've put in is perfect because we have the external validation that we've been searching for, which is a record contract. And that was like a real success. And that was, and we didn't take that contract. The contract was poop. But in my mind, that was the day like, man, we climbed the, the mountain of real success in the music game. We, from there, man, we've, played more shows, we booked more shows, we charged more money, um, signed autographs at PacSun, and, and just totally um, did our thing in the Christian rock and roll music industry. That was the real success. What, what, the was, real what was the name of the band? It was called Trade Cities. Trade Cities. Got it. Yeah. Trade Cities. Most of you people have never was, heard of us. That was 08? So, like, who, who are you traveling with? Like, Switchfoot and whatnot? Uh, we weren't traveling with Switchfoot. We were like the Tooth and Nail bands. Yeah. So Switchfoot okay. had already made it over to like the big mainstream. So we were still playing in the small like Tooth and Nail world. So at yep. that time, it was The Wedding. It was Spoken. It was Project 86. Yep. It was, um, man, there was another Showbread. Uh, show, show, Showbread. Showbread. Yep. Um, who else do we always still play with? The Classic Crime. Um, those types of bands is who we were, we were playing with yeah that's uh that's awesome man that, that that's awesome um yeah when i think about that what i think is is interesting when i hear the whole story 
is just how these defining moments like pop up all the time for us. And, you know, we, we, we either have success or failure. And when we have failure in those defining moments, I think a lot of people, they feel like, okay, not only is this define the moment, but maybe it's defined my future, you know? Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. One of the moments that I could think of, because you asked me, which was like, well, what's the real failure? So this was in 2008. We did the record label showcase thing. So then we played shows, did things like we played Six Flags over Texas here in Dallas. I remember, you know, the guy, he came up, come up to us and he's like, hey, is there anything I can get you guys? And I was like the douchebag who was like, yeah, I would like a raspberry mocha latte from Starbucks. <laughs> and so he went and got me one. And the other guys were like, what are you doing? I was like, I don't know. Yes, if we wanted something, that's what I wanted. Um, anyway, <laughs> so fast forward, and now we come into October of 2009. By August of 2009, it was like utter chaos between us five guys. I was a complete tyrant. It was my way of the highway. I had, I was a great leader if you did it, if you did it my way. I had no like social skills and understanding grace space and communication and servant leadership and just leadership, like legitimate leadership, not like iron fist tyranny. Mm. And so it was great for getting results. It was very bad for relationships. And so I burnt all those relationships to the ground. So by August of 2009, uh, three is, one, one, one guy hated me, my best friend hated me. The guitar player, lead singer, and bass and drummer, they hated me. And so they're like, all you want to do is plaster our face everywhere and um, you're an asshole. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I am. So let's quit. And I'm like, okay, we can quit, but we have to honor our contracts because I've already booked us through October of 2009. So they said, that's fine, mm. we'll honor all the contracts, but after that, we're done and we're all going our separate ways. So we're like, cool. So we played our last radio show in October of 2009. So between October of 2009, a lot of things played out. Between October 2009 and March 2010, I pretty much lost everything except my health. What I mean by that is I had worked so hard to lead and build a rock band that my identity as a human being mm -hmm. was I'm a rock star. And when that was completely gone, I didn't know who I was anymore. I was like, do I build another band? Do I do something different? I don't know what to do. I've worked so hard to build this thing and now it's dead. It was like you work so hard to raise a child and then the child dies. And you're like, what What do I do? What's my identity? Who am I? I don't know what's going on. So there was that that was going on. At the same time, I had chose to break up with my girlfriend I had been with for three years. And uh, we were living together in, in Cedar Hill, Texas. We had a, a home there that we had rented. So luckily the lease was like expiring in October. So I left that, went back home and moved in with um, a girl I had known all my life and we started dating and I thought she was going to be the person I would marry. And I moved in with her. We we're living with her parents. I didn't have a job. I thought I would just build this social media marketing agency online thing overnight. That was like ridiculous. And I was a complete loser looking back. And so I eventually, she broke up with me. Uh, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car to drive because mine was broken. I didn't have enough money to fix it. So she let me borrow her Jeep to drive to my dad's. And uh, I broke, man, I broke down. And my parents got divorced too on my birthday that year. So between October of 2009 and March 2010, um, I literally lost my career, my identity, uh, the girl that I loved, my friends. Like I said, the only thing that I really had going for me was I was super healthy, didn't have any illness. 
And so that was a huge time of like reflection and asking myself, what can I learn from this? And one of my friends had asked me to read Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And that's, you know, people ask me like, what's one book that changed your life? That book completely changed my life. hundred percent. One of the biggest things I took from that is Tony talked about the power of your questions. And if you ask empowering questions, you get empowering answers. And if you ask mm -hmm. disempowering questions, you get disempowering answers. And so I consciously chose during that time when everything was falling apart to ask myself, what good can come from this? And event, I mean, like the first answer was like, well, nothing. This is ridiculous. This is terrible, you know, but I refused to believe that. And I kept asking, like, I literally just denied the answer. I was like, nah, I'm not believing that. I'm not believing that. I'm not believing that. I'm not believing that. I kept asking, kept asking, what good can come from this? What good can come from this? What can I learn from this? And eventually I learned, man, you're a tyrant and it's time to learn how to really like dive into this gray space of life, learn how to genuinely connect with people. And I went on a journey to figure out how to do that and uh, started working for my dad doing construction again, just to get back on my feet. And within three months I had my own place again and doing life and started, started another business. So that was uh, one of the times that was like real failure for me, big time. So let me ask you, because I hear that story and, you know, something that I've been talking about with mentors, with people I'm mentoring, just basically, you know, my sphere uh, of this idea of some of the greatest things happen when we're in a moment of necessity. And that sometimes when people are in a comfortable state or there's no need for necessity that really they're they don't have to dig down deep they don't have to call on you know something that's with inside them right awaken the giant that's inside them they don't really have to call upon that so I'd, I'd just like to hear your your thoughts on this idea of like necessity and comfortability versus being uncomfortable and and just your your opinion on it so transformation is never convenient and so some people if they're if they're complacent and they're comfortable, some could make the argument that, well, if you're not in enough pain, then you're not going to create transformation or you're not going to do what's required. So put yourself in a, you can put your back up against the wall because if your back's up against the wall, it's fight or flight. If you're a producer, you'll fight and you'll produce. And I could say that's probably one avenue to create. But why? I mean, I believe that God is giving every single person on the planet divine guidance if they're open to listening. And that divine guidance is usually the small, gentle whisper. We can look at this at scripture and Christianity, and you can look at other religious texts and find that truth as well. And if we're not listening, then the whisper kind of gets to be a smacked in the teeth with a kick or with a two by four. And if we don't listen to that, then it's something major like a divorce or a breakup or a this or a that. And so I feel like I'm at a place where if you truly want change, if you're asking those questions, it doesn't have to be this chaotic experience where you lose everything. I think, unfortunately, it tends to be on average for lots of people because they don't listen. But for those who get in tune, they can listen and they can have transformation and not have to embrace all of the chaos. Yeah, and, and not to get too deep into it but like i i almost think people have different versions of what necessity is people have different versions of what chaos is so yours was you know what it was and losing everything and having to go back to your your roots and 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 break down in front of dad 
uh, for some necessity might, might might be a different situation. Like they have a kid and they feel like, okay, now I have a necessity to, I don't know, create a legacy or, or whatever it is. Right. So I think just like I would say that you have to define success for yourself. You, you kind of have to define necessity for yourself. You know, I don't think you can allow AJ Amix's necessity to be the same as Chris Watson's necessity. Would you agree? I would a hundred percent agree. I mean, I, I do believe that pain is a huge driver and so if you can, you know, Tony talks about this within Awaken the Giant Within about how to leverage pain and how to even fabricate pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, even for me to this day, there's times when I will fabricate pain falsely to anchor in enough pain within me to go do something. Um, because, I mean, even for me, life, life's really good right now. It's really, really good. It's a really good place. So it's always trying to really find that, that why, that driver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really, really important for people if they want to create change and transformation. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think I think we have to create a a, a new filter uh, often for us to be pushed to do something better, right? Um, otherwise, Absolutely. otherwise, once we, uh, I, I always said for for me personally that my greatest strength and my greatest weakness really are the same thing, and that's ambition. Um, yeah. and, and and I wonder now if maybe it's not a weakness, maybe that's just the driver for me of. I need to feel ambitious to drive to the next thing. And after I accomplish something, I then tell myself, okay, well, what's next, you know? And, and, you know, I mean, you can dissect it any way you want of, of do I ever take the minute to enjoy it or whatnot and being present, but um, okay. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear this one. Um, So, so tell me kind of what actions or innate abilities that may have seemed abnormal to your peers or made you feel different or that like separated you that maybe in the time when you were growing up, you know, made you feel like different, but now you reflect upon it and almost say, you know what, that's what set me apart. That's why I do what I do mm-hmm. now. Right. So I believe this is, I'm super direct. And so there's a piece of me when I went through that experience in 2009, 2010, where I was like being direct hurts people, uh, being angry hurts people. So being direct and anger is bad. Yet I found that being direct and being able to leverage and understand anger has been one of my greatest gifts. Mm. And so one of the things that it allows me to do is as a coach, I can guide people into the fire and it's the fire that refines them. And it's not a comfortable place to be. Yet most people want to cover up their reality with things that are not real, their projections, their distorted uh, filters of reality. And my job as a coach is to grab you by the hair sometimes, if it's required, (laughs) and force you to stare at the truth. I I was on a call today with a guy who was 63. He had bought businesses, sold businesses. He was in the middle of a divorce. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And my first question was like, what do you want? And he was like, but I'm just, I just can't trust myself. I'm so fearful. I've never been here. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. The bullshit story. I hear you. But mm-hmm. if you don't tell me what you want, no one can help you. Because if you don't trust in yourself, I can't trust you and neither can the world. And he paused and he thought about it. He's like, huh. What? You're right. And so one of my greatest gifts is my ability to comfortably guide people into their discomfort. And oftentimes people will tell me, dude, you, you talked to me in a way, or you've pushed me in a way 
that I wouldn't let any other person on the planet do, but I feel safe with you and I know where you're coming from and thank you. It's one of the greatest gifts you've given me. So as I continue to up-level my ability and give myself the allowance to guide people into the fire, the more people that I serve. Some may say, well, you're too intense. And my response now is like, for some I am, but for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, I'm perfect for them. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I think it's extremely powerful. Uh, two observations. One, I, I, I can think back to, you know, and us playing sports that, you know, there was that time when you you leave high school athletics and you go to college and I went and played college soccer. But there's a time when you, you're a family, right? And your coach is able to talk to you probably in a way your parents and teachers and nobody yeah. else is allowed to talk to you. But when you look yeah. at the results they got, you're like, he got more out of me than almost anybody else in my life because yeah. he had permission to speak into my world. And so I think that's why it's so powerful to have people like you in, in our lives as coaches saying, if you give me the ability and the permission to speak into your life the way you need to be spoken to, then you're going to accomplish more than probably you ever imagined. Uh, the second observation, and it goes exactly with the story you just told, is that the stories we tell ourselves either paralyze us or they really help us, you know, take the next best step. And and it, you just you change the story for him. You said, yeah, I get it. You're telling yourself the story that you've never been in this situation and it's paralyzing you. Now let's look at a different story of, well, what do you want? Tell yourself that story. And then now let's go take a step together. And I think what's ironic is that's almost what happened to you when you were at your lowest moment, right? You were telling yourself one story and then you said, you know what? I'm going to read this book. Okay. I'm going to tell myself a different story. Now I'm on a new mission to determine how to genuinely connect with people. And then now look at the place you are uh, of helping people change the story, even for their own lives. hundred percent and changing the story, regardless of the level of accomplishments we have, it's a daily awareness and a daily practice to become aware of the stories that we tell ourselves and to shift those stories to be in alignment with what we want to experience. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, as a as a high school uh, a teacher, I, I spend time with these young people, and you know that that's the thing that's so evident to me. And I'm gonna go back before I go forward. So let me let me say this: you you said your three memorable experiences. You know, your uncle and your dad never had uh you know any intention or impure motive for why they were yep. doing the things they were doing, right? Yep. Yep. But it still cre it still created a narrative for you that you know uh, created self doubt. And so I tell these kids sometimes like. Your parents aren't intentionally, uh, you know, holding you, telling you a story or whatever, but, but whatever they've done, you have, uh, you know, metabolized that into your life in a way that's holding you back or making you feel a certain way. And, uh, you know, and I think that's why it's so valuable uh, to, to have somebody that cares about you that can walk through some of these stories of your life for you to have this light bulb moment to say, wow, I am holding myself back from that or wow, I understand now why, you know, my relationships turn out the way they do or et cetera, et cetera. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I think in the past year, that's kind of what I've been doing personally, because I'm the same as you. I grew up in a good household, no divorce, no molestation, nothing like that. You know, Christian home, went to church. And, uh, and even in all those scenarios, as much as I was loved, I think back to, you know, 
why do awareness? Why do I do what I do? Why do I justify some of the things I justify? Why are A, B, or C so difficult for me? And, and I can almost always link it back with some things that I observed that are in my subconscious that I probably don't even actively say, I'm going to go be lazy, or I'm going to go eat this, or I'm going to go and not do this thing, or, or, or I'm not going to be uh, you know, disciplined in this action. And I think back, oh, it's because I observed that every day of my life. Or, you know, mm. oh, so-and-so told me that, you know, hey, you're not a disciplined person. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to fit that mold, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right, so, you know, as you're – I'm interested to hear the answer to this one because you're just <laughs> such a thoughtful guy that I <laughs> – I'm just interested to see what, what's going to come of this. So um, what are the goals and dreams that you're pursuing today – and why, you know, we've heard your, your past. Now it's kind of, kind of time to shift into the sure. future of, okay, we, we know who AJ is. We know his story. We know he's gone through, you know, uh, tyrant to great personal connector, changing stories for people's lives, empowering them. Um, and, and, um, now it's like, okay, well, what, what are you going to do with that? What are you gonna do with those gifts and abilities? What are the goals, the dreams that you have that you're pursuing? Awesome. So I'm going to start like at the micro and we'll get to the macro. So, on a, on a micro level, one of my goals in 2009 was to take my family to Ireland. I told my mom and my brother and sister, I said, in 10 years, uh, you guys pick a place and I'll buy tickets and we'll go. Dude, and I was so, I was so broke in 2009. Like, <laughs> I was so broke. And, uh, but that's what I spoke into my life. And so this year, I was like, holy smokes, 2019 is like next year. And I was like, hey, guys, where do you guys want to go? They said, Ireland. And uh, actually, my mom said China. And I was like, mom, we're not going to China. So that was the stupidest <laughs> pick you could pick. What do you go to see there besides the Great Wall, mom? She's like, I don't know. That's it. I'm like, exactly. So we're not going to China. Pick a different place. <laughs> so they picked Ireland. And so my wife and I, we bought, uh, we bought tickets. My sister got pregnant, so she can't go. But uh, my brother's going and my mom's going. And then uh, my grandmother's tagging along. And a couple of my cousins are tagging along. So I'm excited to go to Ireland. That's uh, definitely a goal I'm pursuing, pursuing. So we'll be there April 27th through uh, May 8th. So if you're listening to this and you live in Ireland, know anybody in Ireland, let me know. Let's connect with them. Awesome. Um, outside of that, man, um, I'm on a mission to get the, the body of a Brad Pitt and Fight Club. So I'm about halfway there right now. I've been following Kino Body. That's, a, that's one of my big targets. Another one is scaling my company in a sustainable way. We've done uh, really well over the years, just like launching and doing organic stuff. And so it's like time to take it to the next level with systems and scalability. Uh, brought another another team member in today, uh, part time to help with social media. So that's something that's on my radar is really scaling in a very sustainable way. Um, so we're not also always just like hustling and grinding. Even to these days, I don't I don't do a lot of hustle and grind, but I really want to go that next level of going from self-employed to having like this thing that lives and breathes um, outside of me. That's a big one. Another one uh, my wife and I are working on is moving to Europe this summer. This is a goal we have been working on for three years, and we're finally in a place to be able to pull that off. So moving to Europe this summer is a big one. And then on the, 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 micro, uh, the macro level, man, it's really just helping people love themselves and others and helping people have more money, time, and freedom um, through every course that we, we create, through every live event that we host, through, um, through coaching as well. Those are the goals that I'm pursuing. Oh, I forgot one more. Uh, this is a new one for me. Um, and this is kind of fascinating for me, and I've never shared this. Um, so also, it's um, my, one of my goals for next year, 2019, is knowing Jesus at a very deep, 
practical, applicable level here and now. Not like the ones that we read about in scripture, not about the one that what we should believe or shouldn't believe, but like really actively seeking, yo, bro, where are you? Let's communicate. Let's connect. Let's inspire one another. Let's see eye to eye. That's um, a goal for me for next year as well. Yeah, I ha- I, I'm going to mention this book and you probably know of it, but I, I just actually, uh, this year, one of the first books I read was The Greatest Man Who Ever Lived by uh, Stephen K. Scott. And it, it it's very, this is how Jesus lived. These are the things he was teaching his disciples. And on a practical level, how does that apply to our lives and modernly uh, now and even some context of what he was going through? So it may not be something you're looking for, but it, just a just a quick, hey, you might check it out. That you know, it gave it gave yeah. me a new appreciation for, uh, you know, my relationship with, with with Jesus and just who he was and what he was trying to teach the disciples and what we can even learn from it now. You know, on a on a business uh, business aspect and on a personal level, um, I, I want to ask before I move on because the, the last question is great and I, and I want to end with that, but I, I want I'm curious on a business level is, you know, and I'm just going to be vulnerable and transparent and kind of steal a moment for myself while I have you on here. Cause you're Beautiful. phenomenal. So on a business perspective, how, how did you know it was time to scale? Did you have like a, just a radar? Did you have a number, like a dollar revenue number? Did you have a, um, I can't manage as many clients that need me or want me or like, or was it more of a, I just want this to last longer than what can it last with me or kind of give me an idea for how did you know it was time to really seek out that scalability factor? So we have been doing, you know, the goal for me in 2009 was to create a six figure business or I wanted to make $10,000 a month from anywhere in the world for my laptop. And I've, I've hit that goal. That was my number. I've hit that goal. It has been very like sustainable on the mark. And so now it was like, okay, well, now that I have this goal, I'm finding myself um, like being a little bit of burnt out and doing doing some things that I, I don't want to do anymore. Like I've done these things to get me. And what I mean by that is like posting on social media. What I mean by that is doing things like going out and connecting with people online and befriending them and, you know, all of this organic stuff that it works very, very, very well. But I was like, I want to just focus on doing more of what I do best. Um, Gay Hendricks has a book called uh, The Big Leap. And another book called The Joy of Genius. And genius is like your zone that only you can do. I can't train Justice to do it. I can't train Jonathan. It's like this thing that I'm innately gifted by God, spirit, universe, whatever name you use, whatever you believe, gives you. And I want to figure out, well, how do I spend more and more of my time in that? Well, in order to do that, that means I have to create systems and processes um, to scale to a bigger level so I can day in the thing that I do that I love to do I find so much joy in guiding people into the fire I find so much joy doing these events but in order for me to do that there's a massive amount of personal care that has to take place in order for me to even be able to hold the space and frequency to guide people into that space and frequency well in order to do that that means I have to let go of certain things so for me that was that was my my waypoint of like just kind of listening to to my intuition. It's how I'm innately designed to, to to thrive on the planet. Is just listening to my gut, and it was like, hey, it's time to scale beyond you. Um, that was that happened this year. So we've been working on that. We've made a little bit of progress, and so it's more of that in 2019. So another little tangent. Can you tell me 
what your genius is in four words or less? Yeah. Uh, man, four words or less. I'll give you. I'll give you ten. Oh, perfect. I, I think my genius is guiding people into the fire, uh, holding space for them, and, and finding whatever it is that they feel like they are stuck on. They don't. They don't even have words for it. My gift is finding that and helping them completely rip that out of them and and like bring massive amounts of light and healing to it. Yeah. So I'm wondering. So so, man, you you got me thinking. So like, I feel like. Uh, you know, my genius that I'm I'm looking at in my own personal life is just being a people person, like connecting with people on a level and, and them, them feeling comfortable so quick. And I've been wondering that thing, like, can I duplicate my genius? And, and I came up with a phrase that I think you'll like is I have to delegate to elevate, meaning if I want to elevate yep. my business to the next level, I'm going to be forced to delegate to other people. And the one thing I can't really scale or, or delegate is let me teach you how to connect with people in a way that I connect with people. And I think that's so difficult. I mean, I don't know your, your thoughts on that, but I mean, do you, you mm. I'm assuming you're saying no one can help people. You, no one can lead people into the fire and bring them into that space and find that, that thing that's holding them back, the story they're telling themselves like I do. That is correct. Now we'll dive deeper into this. I think it will serve this audience. So there's a thing called human design. It's a soul science based upon a, a lot of different sciences. You guys can go look it up, human design. It'll take you down a rabbit hole. It's something I've spent a lot of time and money and resources, time and energy uh, learning to master. And it's something that I, I really use to help my clients be able to master self in the game of self-mastery. So there's four different types of people. You have manifestors, you have generators, you have uh, projectors and reflectors. I only want to spend time on the first two, manifestor and generators. Manifestors are the type of people who are on this planet to inform people. Now, they have an auric field, meaning they have a vibe. They have, um, you know, an energy around them. Whatever word you want to use, it's the same stuff. So when people come in contact with a manifestor without words being exchanged, the people around them are on the edge of their seat. And that's why people who are manifestors are like, why is it sometimes like hard for me to connect with people? I'm like, because they have no clue what's going to come out of your mouth. Because if the four types of people were sitting on a couch, the manifestor would be, just be like, hey guys, let's go to Vegas. And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. And then the generator, who is the builder, and they have a very warm aura, uh, vibe, you know, magnetic build, whatever you'd like to call it. It's very inviting because they're the ones who build things. They build yeah. plans. They strategize. I'm a generator myself. And so generators would naturally attract people and the manifestor is naturally kind of repelling people because the people don't know what the manifestor is going to inform them about. So people are always like, can I trust you? Can I trust you? What are you going to say? I don't know. And all of this is happening subconsciously and energetically, right? So when we're looking at, well, can I train somebody, connect with people like I can? Possibly if they're a generator. So it's diving into soul sciences and understanding like humanity at a deep level. And yeah, I do believe connecting with people is something that is definitely a transferable skill set. Thank you. I appreciate you explaining that probably in a much simpler form and how you had to learn it and reading and all the time and the money you, 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 uh, you invested in that. I'm like, okay, he explained that extremely well. And I'm assuming that, you know, the amount of time it took him to come up with that explanation is probably a lot more years and time and money, uh, than a lot of people will be willing to invest. So, 
Okay, well, here is the final question, and I am going to hold you to your word limit on this. Um, but just tell me, you know, you 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 have a life story, and I always say it like mm-hmm. this. I even I even say it in my book like this: is that at the end of our lives, your tombstone does not. I've never seen a tombstone that has a net worth on it. I've never seen a tombstone that said like what kind of car somebody drove or the square feet of their home or you know, anything of that nature, I've never seen that. So at the end of your life, I mean, what do you want someone else to say about your life story? So good. Comes down, it's pretty simple. Um, it would be that he loved and cared for people deeply, that he had fun, was always fun to be around, and that he changed my life, and I wouldn't be who I am today without him. Love it, man. Yeah, I love it. I, I uh I know you're killing it, man. I know you're changing a lot of lives. I know maybe I'm wrong. I, I think, you know, sometimes you're re- you're really humble from what I see on social media and content, but I know deep down inside there's a, you got a freaking carnivore and, and I just hope you know, man, I appreciate you. I appreciate your content. I appreciate you being willing to speak into my life and others' lives when I think you, here's how I'll put it. And I want the listeners to really hear this. And and I really fully believe this about you. And that's why I want to say it. And I'm saying it on a public setting because I think it's really important versus just you and I in a room somewhere. What I admire the most about you is that most people expect reciprocity when they invest and speak into people's lives. And that might be money, that might be time, might be partnership. But what I admire most about you is I think you truly, genuinely want to love and help people and at many times don't expect any reciprocity other than you hope and you desire for that person to become a better version of themselves after the conversation. Thank you. I receive that. Thank you. Good, man. Um, tell our listeners how they can find you, get a hold of you, sign up for coaching, know somebody that needs it, but tell people how they can, how they can find you either social media, your website, whatever you'd like to, to, to uh, plug. Sure. They can go to AJ Amix, AMYX.com. There's a uh, lots of free content on my blog. Uh, I'll give you guys a free audio book it's called Mindset's Not Enough. It's uh, teaching high achievers how to generate more revenue while working less. It's completely free if you guys want it. Uh, just go to ajamyx.com slash audiobook, and you can go get that audiobook. It's um, an hour and a half long. Lots of people have downloaded it. They said it was a huge pivotal point in their life, so I'd encourage that. And other than that, just connect with me on my personal Facebook page. It's just facebook.com slash ajamyx. And just um, connect with me, send me a friend request, shoot me a private message, and just like be a human and start a conversation. I'd love to talk with you. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it once again for you hopping on, taking the time. I, I know you're a busy guy, so I know you've been really in, impactful in my own life as well as all the listeners that they are going to hear this. So thanks again for, for hopping on and taking time, man, and, and sharing your life story. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And for all those listening, thanks so much for hopping on and listening to me and AJ and talk about our story. Whatever your life story is, I think the big takeaway today as we talk about stories is take the time to think about the stories you're telling yourself and what the effects those are having on your life, whether that's holding you back, whether that's prompting, whether that's driving you to really determine what stories am I telling myself and how is it affecting me? Thanks so much for for hopping in. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. 
Thanks so much for joining us on the Four Stories podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it was insightful. I hope it was impactful. And I look forward to an opportunity when we can connect. You can find me on social media at The Four Stories. Or you can send me an email at fourstories at thechriswatson.com. I'd love to have you on the show. Love to connect with you. Love to work with you or your organization. Talk to you soon. Peace.